Welcome to Market Scale's Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. As Amazon pushes into profitability after dramatically altering the shipping and retail worlds, many are wondering about the future of other retailers and the technology they use. Today, Paula Rosenblum joins us to talk about putting technology in a business context, working on a benchmark for retail innovation, and we try to make sense of the current marketplace overall. How you doing, Paula? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So, Paula, I think a good jumping off point might be to talk about some of the, the kind of uh, advising you do. So can you tell us a little bit about that so we get everyone on the same page? Sure. We, My company is RSR Research, and we work with technology vendors and retailers both to understand how they can use technology to support overcoming their business challenges and taking advantage of the opportunities that they've identified. So we look at technology in context, and and we help, therefore, create roadmaps, et cetera, et cetera, for both sides. So, Paul, to contextualize this a little bit, could you give us some examples of the kind of advising you do, like maybe a, a particular case or something? Sure. We went, in, we went into one uh, vertically integrated retail, retailer and really changed the sequence of what technologies they were going to be buying based on what their business requirements were because uh, someone had given them a very um, spurious set of uh, roadmap at that point in time. Um, and we also helped them change the organizational structure to be a bit more functional. Um, another example would be working with a very, very large software company on what the requirements for a merchandise planning system should be based on the data we get from A, the fact that we've all been in the industry forever, and B, uh, we run annual benchmarks on a variety of topics, so we get a broad swath of retailer opinions. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah that's exciting. So then, Paula, what are some of the uh, common mistakes you're seeing you know uh businesses run through like what what are some things that you find yourself consistently pointing out and, and advising for well one thing for sure is that you can't be amazon um you know the the industry has been obsessed with amazon for years you can't be them and trying to undercut them on price is is kind of pointless i think it's fair to say we've reached price parity now um, but what you can do is be a better version of yourself to differentiate yourself. And one key factor in that regard is to, is to make your in-store experience more interesting and differentiated so consumers want to go there again. Right, right. And I'm glad you brought up Amazon, right? Because I think that's one that's definitely shaking up the marketplace. And, you know, we, we're seeing in the news that they recently turned a profit. Is this at all interesting to you? Does this affect anything you're doing right now? Is this something you can speak to? I can. I actually think that's really good news for retailers. And I know that sounds very counterintuitive. I, I wrote a blog post on that that's coming out either today or tomorrow. Um, the reason, it, the conventional wisdom is that Amazon never made any money because they were reinvesting everything in R&D. Um, I don't believe that's correct. I believe the reason they weren't making money is they were paying a fortune in shipping fees. And if you've ever bought from Amazon, you're familiar with how much air comes in the box. And that's expensive. So the fact that they're making a profit, I think, is for several reasons in their retail operations anyway. One is that they've offloaded some of their prime uh, fulfillment to third parties. So someone who used to be a marketplace player can now also be a prime seller. Now, the requirements to get in on being a prime seller are very stringent, but it appears, based on what I've seen, that Amazon's ability to monitor their performance is kind of based on how many consumers are willing to complain. 
And so I'm finding more and more orders, and I, and I use Amazon a lot. I'm finding more and more orders coming late, later than promised, and then later than the second promise. Um, and and <laughs> I mean, this is just amusing. It doesn't harm my experience, but I've had stuff come in Walmart boxes. I've had things come with Target tape wrapped all over it. But when you add all that together, what Amazon has done is it's turned a cost, which is the shipping cost, into revenue, which is just you have to pay extra to be a prime seller, and they don't have to get involved in the shipping process at all. So that helps them be profitable. Now, what that means is, in the global scheme of things, is that if retailers, other retailers have done their homework and they've gotten the technology in place to help them be more efficient, they have a real opportunity to pick up share. Because, because Amazon is no longer the fastest and no longer the cheapest. And that's a big deal. If everyone is the same price or relatively close, um, and if you can see a product is going to be fulfilled by a third party, you may be inclined, as I tend to be, to buy from somebody else instead. Right. So are, are basically, like Amazon could just be a, an asset now then, right? If, if you know, there, other people are able to embrace this too? I mean, Amazon, you know, it's sort of like when I first became an analyst, everyone was talking about Walmart. Could Walmart ever be stopped? And the answer is no market is infinite. And, and they didn't get, you know, they didn't disappear. But, but other retailers have found their place in, in a Walmart world. I think the same is true with Amazon. Amazon is going to continue to exist. They actually did say in their earnings call that they expected revenue growth to start tapering off a little bit on the retail side. Um, and that's because, again, no market's infinite. So I think other retailers have a really exciting opportunity, especially those who have a terrestrial presence as well. Right. And I, that's a, such an interesting uh, comparison, the Walmart to Amazon one. I, I had never really thought about that. And I think another interesting about Amazon, too, that that has definitely helped the industry is it's really normalized ordering things on, online in a way that I think no one else really uh, really had before. So, you know, anyone, anyone trying to start a, a, a business that's, you know, solely online or, or doesn't have a storefront, I think, yeah, definitely benefits from, from, you know, Amazon's huge push into normalizing the, the, the entire concept of just ordering something online and, and being sure it's going to get there relatively soon. Yeah, I think so. And I think we have to give some props to Apple on this score too. It's the iPhone that really oh, yeah. transformed everything. I mean, all of a sudden, and, and it's not like Apple was the first smartphone. Microsoft and HP actually had one several years before, but it was the one that took off. It was the one that changed everything. Right. And, and it was the one that allowed for 24 by 7 shopping, price comparisons, the whole nine yards. It really changed everything. Yeah, no, no, for sure. So shifting gears a little bit, I want to go back into something you said where you mentioned putting technology into a business context, right? Can you kind of go into that a little bit? Sure. I think I, 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 sort of in, I sort of hinted at it when I introduced myself. But um, a lot of analyst companies rate technologies and they tend to rate the vendors one, one against the other. And that's an interesting exercise in some industries. In retail, I don't find it terribly useful particularly, but nonetheless, they do it. What's much more interesting to me and to us as a company is to take a look at the challenges and opportunities that retailers see in front of them, the external challenges and their internal obstacles as well. And if they can overcome their internal obstacles, how they can use technology to take advantage of opportunities. That's the contextualization of it. So we can talk about the value of content 
and someone can play rate the vendors in, in, in terms of, of their ability to deliver content across all selling channels. But that doesn't help you understand the why of it. That doesn't help you understand, is it a, is it a factor in success? And the other thing we look at when we run these benchmark studies, we do about eight to 10 a year, is we, we compare those who overperform in comparable sales to their peers. And what we invariably find is that those who overperform don't do it by accident. They do it because they think differently. They respond differently to the challenges they face. They tend to use technology differently. Uh, right now, I'm working on a report on retail innovation, and we find that overperformers, who we call retail winners, are much quicker to adopt technology than their peers. They're, they're, they're willing to be a leader rather than just a fast follower. Have you seen this shift kind of organically happen as just technology becomes more and more integrated with, you know, everyone's life? Has, has it been like on par with that same growth? Uh, it's been painful for retailers because, because re, you know, yeah. retailers have a love-hate relationship with technology in many ways. Um, you couldn't get to the size and scale of, of today's, the retailers we think of in top of mind today without technology, and retailers obviously know it. You know, you couldn't have a thousand stores if you didn't have technology to gather and mash up and analyze the data. But on the other hand, uh, you've got these relatively thin operating profits that just get thinner when you start adding when you start adding technology onto it. So historically, retailers have underspent on technology. Um, they're now in a position where they're going to have to overspend for a couple of years to get up to the level where the consumer expects them to be. Right. And that's interesting how, you know, I think consumer expectation is definitely driving this shift, right? Because totally it's dragging retailers kicking and screaming. If they'd had their drug, right. believe me, this was not, you know, if, if you were sitting, we, we formed our company in June, 2007. And at that time, if you were sitting at a corporate, uh, uh, executive steering committee for IT, um, your list of priorities didn't include all of this, you know, uh, content across channels, building community across channels, just this anytime, anywhere retailing. It didn't include that. The iPhone came out and within a year, it was top of mind for everyone. And how do you satisfy the consumer? How do you mitigate the impact of out of stocks? How do you mitigate the impact of overstocks in certain areas? And that turned out to be using stores as active members of the supply chain, not just uh, endpoints on the supply yeah, chain. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's clear as a day now, right? I think in, in retrospect, everyone's uh, kicking themselves for not, for not uh, making that shift happen organically. You know, it's painful. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I can appreciate if, if you, if having grown up in this industry and worked for retailers that were starting from scratch, you know that you build it based on a model, based on a pro forma. So, Paul, you mentioned earlier that you were working on a, a benchmark about retail innovation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we're trying to understand how retailers, A, where they look for sources of innovation, B, you know, what their plans are for innovation, things like that. Um, there's definitely a lot of interest around, around innovation in retail. And one of the reasons we undertook this study was because we wanted to make sure that um, that retailers were responding to the challenge, which is to basically overspend on IT and then and then uh, for a time anyway. 
So we're finding some really interesting things. I started talking to you before, I think, about retail winners, those who overperform. And what we're finding is that they are much more interested in being leaders rather than fast followers or even slow followers. They want to move forward because they have to. They recognize that you have to move fast. You know, back in the day, we used to talk about retail time. And retail time was oh so fast, right, compared to other industries where things moved kind of glacially. Well, it turns out that now, now retail time is actually too slow because consumer time is crazy fast. And so retailers who, who have been in this space of moving along and kind of underspending on IT because they do have a love-hate relationship with it are now being forced to A, embrace it, and B, get a lot faster. Faster in their bringing of product to market, which they need technology to help them do. Faster in their responsiveness to consumers. Faster in their putting out of content. Faster of them create in creating community. They just have to be fast. And to do that, you need technology. It's kind of like that. Yeah, it's a, it's it's kind of, I think it, it very much feels like common sense, right? But when you really get down to the nitty gritty of it, it's kind of insane how much of this... Uh, uh, you know, all of these these big pushes are definitely coming from the consumer side, right? Absolutely. So one of my last questions for you, Paula, um, which is another thing I found really interesting from your uh, pre-interview survey, was we asked you, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges in the industry? And you gave us a list of three things. So I was wondering if we could go through each one and uh, kind of break them down. Sure. So the first one you, you gave us was a, a lack of, of uh, personalization. Yeah. If you think about going into a department store, just think about that term. It's saying, okay, we're going to have you shop by department. So you're going to go to the Mrs. section, or you're going to go to the junior section, or you're going to go to the men's section. Or if you're fond of brands within that section, you'll go to a brand. But you really have no way in a, in a quote, department store type environment to go to a place that's a, that works for your lifestyle, right? And consumers very clearly are interested in curated or narrowed assortments so that they don't have to wade through things they don't care about. And so one way that one company is trying to deal with this is Macy's. Macy's bought a company named Story, which was a small company out of New York. Are you familiar with them by any chance? So the thing about Story that was so cool was that it was different themes all the time. Now, imagine if, if, if they can scale this and put these the little themes in, in Macy's around the country and then say, if you, for more like this, go to, you know, go to, go to the second floor or go, to, go over to here, then you can create this curated kind of assortment and create some excitement and some sense of urgency within this very large box and put that product in context. And that's kind of a piece of personalization in the store. Online, it's a similar kind of thing. Most websites that you go to say, okay, are you shopping for men? Are you shopping for women? Are you buying tops? Are you buying bottoms? So it's almost like the website is looking like a department store. How much better if it looked like, here's the things we think you might like to see today. How much better would that be for the consumer to not have to wade through extra keystrokes and extraneous product that they just don't care about. Right, right. Yeah, that just that just makes sense. So, Paula, the next thing you listed was hyper-promotionalism, which I think is kind of related. Yeah, the, I think Amazon, well, Walmart kind of started this craze back in the early 2000s. Um, 
Amazon has 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 certainly uh, increased it, and that is to use price as a primary driver of demand. And and if you think about doorbuster sales and you think about opening on Thanksgiving, all of that is what I call hyper-promotionalism. You don't make a lot of money from it. Retailers don't. Um, I'm not clear that at the end of the day, even the total sales for the season are higher than they were going to be. All you've done is cost yourself money. And it seems as though retailers have grown a bit addicted to it. And consumers have as well. And, and, and it's easy for retailers to consistently say, well, consumers demand it. But the truth is, we've trained them. We've trained right, them to right. expect and demand that, you know. Right. It's that relationship. Absolutely. So, uh, and the last thing you, you mentioned, Paula, was changing the in-store model to reflect new consumer taste. Yeah. I just, the example I just gave you about story inside the body of, 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 of the departments of uh, Macy's is a really good example of that. Um, big box retailing is getting very tired. And so there has to be a way to create intimacy inside this big box. Target has done it uh, by starting to create a second door. So you can go in one side and it's basically kind of like a convenience store with a smaller, a narrow assortment of product. Or if you're on the big shopping trip run, you know, you go through the main door and you walk through the entire body of the store. So that's, that's the big, that's part of the challenge. The other part of the challenge is that employee, if you want someone to go to the store, it has to be a better experience than shopping online. That's why I'm not such a fan of Amazon scan and go, because why would I bother getting in my car, <laughs> right? Driving to a place, putting stuff in a basket, putting it in a bag when I can just click and go, <laughs> right? I don't have to leave the house. I don't have to do that. So the challenge becomes, how do I make malls and stores interesting in the 21st century? And, and, and you can see a bunch of companies that are doing some very uh, interesting and innovative things to make this in-store experience more fun and festive. Certainly malls are adding rides, they're adding movies. There's a mall opening down where I live in Miami that's gonna have a ski slope, which I don't at all understand, but okay. <laughs> you know, and and yeah, I mean that that's the, that, that sounds like the or not even sounds it smells like desperation, right? Like it. It's well, it it's it's. I don't I don't even know who that's for. <laughs> well, it's for tourists. I mean, I mean, when you come yeah. here, you know, the thing with tourist towns is when the, when it's a rainy day, what the heck are they going to do? Interestingly enough, I've talked to um, and this particular mall we're talking about is a new one that's been proposed by the guys who run the Mall of America. And it's meant to be the biggest mall in the country. Now, putting aside whether I think Miami needs another mall or not, um, I, I did spend some time a couple of years ago with the CEO of Bal Harbor Shops, which is a very high-end mall here in Miami. And apparently 85% of his traffic is tourists, which is phenomenal, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's, a, that's an amazing number. So, um, you know, it, it, tourist towns tend to be a little different than other towns. They can absorb more. Even if you go to Orlando, there's all these um, right. discount malls and things like that. Yeah, they don't have to factor in the fact that they might have to retain these customers. No, this is a one and done, pretty much. Right, right. Well, Paula, thank you so much for talking to us today. I, I appreciate your time immensely. Oh, it's my pleasure. Hopefully this was, this was useful for you. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.